Good morning, Strong Tower. How are we doing, family? We're good? I don't know. After that worship, I'm feeling good. Amen. Amen. Well, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, that's where we're going to be this morning. Mark chapter 1. Uh, if you're our guest today, again, we want to welcome you. We're glad you could be with us today as we worship Jesus together. If you haven't had a chance to connect with anybody, you can do that after service. As we said uh, earlier, uh, today is our starting point, so you have a chance to meet folks there. And I also want to say I'm really excited about this next Grow class we have. Uh, if you're not aware, this year our theme for the year has been soul care. And so we've been emphasizing that in various ways through our connect groups and our Grow classes and the preaching series that we've done. And so this final class for the year is going to focus on how do we not only care for our own souls, but how do we care for the souls of others? How can God use us in the lives of others as he uh, helps his body care for one another? And so it's going to be a great class, not only for you, but for others in your life. So I would encourage you to, to join us for that class. I'm really excited about it. Uh, Mark chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. If you're there, say amen. amen. Hear the reading of God's word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, prepare the way, prepare the way. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And so God, we want to be a people who hear you. Lord, you speak and we listen. May your spirit use your word today to transform us into the folks that you want us to be, into the image of your son. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may have never been to London. I have not either. Uh, and you may have never seen King's Cross, but you might have seen a picture of it. In fact, you might have seen it in a movie that you may love dearly. This place called King's Cross is known to many people in the modern world now as the place that Harry Potter got on the train on his way to Hogwarts. 
And so this is kind of enshrined in our culture as people have seen images of this and seen the movies and read the books and even my own kids, they, they talk about this all the time, about King's Cross and this place where they got on this magical train. And if you were to go there today, you would actually be able to see, they, they've created a little plaque that says platform nine and three quarters to kind of play along with the story. And they even have a little luggage trolley that's like stuck into the magic wall. It's, it's supposed to look like someone got trapped on their way in. But in history, this place has a very different role. In history, it was actually known first as Battle Bridge. And this is because this was like the crossroads in the geographical area where the people who were battling all the way back to ancient Roman times, when that was what, uh, or who inhabited that land, they would cross through this area, making their way to battle. So kings and soldiers and people would go through this way. And if you were going anywhere, you had to go through Battle Bridge. And then in the 19th century, King George IV, he decided he was going to erect this massive uh, statue of himself in the middle of the intersection. Of course, nobody liked it because every time someone passed by, they realized who was in charge. And so eventually someone decided we're going to tear this thing down and they tore down the statue, but the name stuck. They called it King's Cross. This was the way of the king. This was the way if, every, if you ever went this way, you knew who was in charge. You knew who ruled and reigned. And I tell you that story to tell you as, as we start this new series, we're, we're starting a new series called The Way. And we're calling it the way as we walk through the Gospel of Mark because the Gospel of Mark is all about this idea of the way. In fact, that name, King's Cross, kind of encapsul encapsulates all that Mark is really about. Mark is really about these two sections. The first half of Mark is all about the king, all about who Jesus is. And then the second half of Mark is all about the cross, what Jesus came to do. And so as you read through Mark, ask yourself these two pressing questions, these two urgent questions. Who is Jesus and what did he come to do? That's what Mark is all about. Mark is trying to give us this picture of Jesus and his life and his death and, and what it means for him to be king. And, and all throughout the gospel, Jesus is calling us to follow him along this way, this life, this death. In fact, Jesus even calls himself the way. And as he invites us into this path, he's calling us to follow him. See, the gospel of Mark is, it's all about action. All of the gospels, they, they have uh, their own emphasis, their own personality. And if you're new to the Bible, uh, there's actually four different biographies, if you want to call them that, biographies of Jesus. Four different ones that, that have their own personality, their own emphasis, the own, the, their own way of coming, telling the story of Jesus. And, and Mark tells his story in a very specific way. He focuses on Jesus' action. In fact, he leaves out a lot of Jesus' words. Almost none of Jesus' sermons are in Mark. Mark is, is trying to get you to, to see how Jesus lived, not just what he said. And what's fascinating is as he does this, he does it in this intense pace. I mean, we're going to see Mark, Mark kind of has this, this emphasis on, on speed. It, it's almost like Mark is saying, if you want to follow Jesus, you better keep up. 
All throughout the book, it's immediately this, immediately that, immediately this, immediately that. And, and you almost get overwhelmed. Like, where, where are you going, Mark? Hold on. Wait a second. I was trying to think about that. And he just moves on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. He's getting to the cross as fast as he can. And so Mark has this emphasis on urgency. You have to know who he is and you have to know why he came. You have to follow him. There's a way that he's calling you into. So it's not just the truths about Jesus. Those are important. But it's the way of Jesus' life. What, what did he do is what we want to look at. And so the beginning of Mark, this first chapter, kind of summarizes what Mark is going to unpack for the whole book. It's right here in this first chapter. And so that's what I want to look at today to kind of set the tone for the next few months as we walk through this uh, glorious gospel of Jesus. So I want to ask this question today. What does it look like to follow Jesus on the way? First, we're going to look at the way of repentance, the way of repentance. Look at verse four with me as the story kind of begins in verse four. It says this, John appeared. That's John the Baptist. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, it's fascinating to me that Mark opens the story of Jesus not with Jesus. He opens the story of Jesus with Jesus' forerunner, John the Baptist. And if you're not familiar, John the Baptist was kind of this transition figure between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some, some would say that John was really the final Old Testament prophet. He, he was kind of in this tradition of the Old Testament prophets where he was just a strange dude. I mean, John the Baptist, think about this guy. He's living out in the desert, wearing animal skins, eating insects and preaching. Like if, if anybody's listening to him, it, it's not because he was cool or relevant or like he had an amazing building or a great Instagram account. Like this guy was crazy out in the desert preaching a message that was not popular. Repentance. Repentance. He's telling people God is coming. God is on his way. The, the promised one that we've been waiting for, he's on his way and you need to get ready. And the way you get ready is what he calls this baptism of repentance. Repentance is turning away from one thing to turn towards another thing. And, and in the, the context of, of scripture, repentance means I'm turning away from my sin, my, my former life, and I'm turning towards my savior and his new life. And so John's baptism is really embodied in his own personality, in his own words, in the life that he lived. And, and you see it right there in verse 7. Look at what he says, and, and it really captures his heart. He says, after me comes he who is mightier than I, speaking about Jesus, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I mean, John was a preacher who, who didn't make his message about himself. John was a preacher who's out in the wilderness talking about the one who was to come, and the one to, to come was mightier than him. And he uses this fascinating analogy. He says, and, and everyone in their Roman society would have known what he's talking about, because in the Roman society, about 80% of the people, I don't know if you knew this, were in slavery. 80% of the society. 
And so many of the people in the early church were enslaved. Many of the people they knew were enslaved. And they knew that if you were enslaved, the the lowest job on the totem pole, the lowest job was to untie the sandals of your master. And John says, when I compare myself to Jesus and he's up here and I'm down here, it's so incomparable. I'm unworthy of the lowest job we know. He's saying, Jesus is incomparable to who I am. See, the first step in being ready for God is to know you're not ready. Repentance looks like knowing my own unworthiness. My own unworthiness. See, what John is expressing, what he's experiencing right there in the wilderness, is what everyone has experienced who comes in contact with God. In fact, if you go back to the Old Testament and you you know the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah has a similar experience where he's living in the time of King Uzziah, who's this powerful king, and he dies, and everyone's panicking about what's going to happen when the king dies, right? And so Isaiah, when the king dies, has this vision of another king. And this vision of another king is not some earthly king, but it's the vision of God as king. And and God kind of pulls back the veil of heaven and he gives Isaiah just a glimpse of what it looks like in the throne room. And what Isaiah sees is incredible. Isaiah sees God high and lifted up on his throne. He says his robe fills the temple. Like there's no space because his robe is so massive. And then he sees the angels flying around the, the, the throne and they're singing over and over again. Holy, 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 just continually forever. And then he, he smells the scent of incense and smoke that's rising up and he hears thunder crashing. I mean, it's this insane scene when Isaiah comes face to face with God. And what's his response? Woe is me. Woe is me. He says, for I am a man of unclean lips. Here is the Lord's servant saying, in the presence of God, all I can imagine is is how unworthy I am. Because his eyes were open to both God and himself. See, it takes the, the Holy One to help us see our unholiness. It takes the incomparable beauty of God to to see our own blemishes often. Why is that? Because we're often blinded by our own goodness. Because what we see naturally, what what we're more aware of is all the good things we do. There's a theologian by the name of John Gerstner who said it this way. He said, the main thing between you and God is not so much your sins. It's your damnable good works. Your good works. Because we often think that what keeps us from God is our sin. And that that is true. Sin will separate you from God. But there's another way to be separated from God. To think you're too good for God. To only see your own goodness. And and, and it's hard when, when you've been around church for a while. It's hard when you've been a Christian for a while and, and you feel like I'm, I'm doing all the right things, right? I'm serving at church and I'm reading my Bible and I'm, I'm taking care of my kids and, and I'm making sure I'm a good employee and I'm doing all these things in my life to be responsible and, and, and good in my character and my prayer life and all these things. And you start building up a good list, a good resume of all the goodness that's happened in your life. And with all that goodness, 
you struggle to repent. Why? Because repentance requires seeing your sin. And if all you see is your goodness, you can't see your sin. And the way you take your eyes off your own goodness is you see the goodness of God. You see his goodness and you see his beauty and his glory and, and who he is for who he really is. And then you can see your sin clearly. See, then we can see the fears that are driving these emotional outbursts. Then we can see our judgmentalism towards those who are different than us. Then we can see our own self-righteousness and our parenting. We can see our impatience with our coworkers. We, we can see all these things that beforehand were hidden to us. But because we get a vision of God and how beautiful he is and how amazing he is, you see, wow, I thought I was good, but he is good. I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. I have no status in myself. No status. See, it's seeing him that helps us see us. And then the indicator that we've really seen him is our humility towards others. You notice that when Isaiah sees God, he says, Woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. All of us are in this together. They're, they're, they're immediately when you see God, there's a level playing field. That all of us, are, it's not a woe is you, but it's, it's a woe is me and we. It's all of us together. We are all unworthy. No matter where you lay your head at night, no matter how far you went in school, no matter what the status of your marriage is, no matter how, how long you've been living in that sin, whatever it is, all of us are unworthy. There's this humility with one another that comes from being humbled before God. It's the way of repentance. But that way of repentance leads us to faith. You can't stop there. It has to move to faith. And this is the next part you see in, in Mark's story here, the way of faith. Look at verse 10. Look at what happens. It says, And when he, Jesus, that's who he's talking about, came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Now, you might be asking, why in the world is Jesus getting baptized? This, this can be a strange scene if you're not familiar with what's going on in the story. And, and what's happening is Mark is actually comparing, intentionally comparing the two baptisms. So if you think about it like this, John was, was calling these people to repentance and, and saying, the sign of your repentance is that you would be baptized. This is a baptism of repentance. And so he's calling them to repentance, but Jesus doesn't need to repent, Right? Jesus was and is sinless. There's nothing for him to confess of his sin because there's no sin. And so why in the world would Jesus be getting baptized? Well, it's for this reason, simply put, it's because he's identifying with us as sinners. Jesus is coming to live the life that we're supposed to live. And so he's identifying with us in our sin, calling us to a life of faithfulness, saying, this is what you are called to do, and I'm going to do it in your place. And not only are you called to repentance, but you're called to faith. And so Jesus' baptism actually becomes this, this scene of faith. This is what faith looks like. And this is kind of what, what shapes the whole gospel of Mark. This, this baptism scene right here shapes how Mark expresses who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. 
And what's fascinating is actually Mark's story kind of, um, it, it echoes the, the Genesis story. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, we read, this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus. How does Genesis begin? In the beginning, right? And then you see the, the spirit that was hovering over the waters in the Genesis account is now hovering over the waters that Jesus, are in, that Jesus is in. And then you hear the voice that was speaking all of creation into existence now is speaking over Jesus. So there's all these parallels from the Genesis account. It's as if Mark is saying, when Jesus comes, there's a new creation. There's something happening in this scene that, that Jesus isn't just going down into the water. Jesus is doing something to redeem us, doing something to change all of creation. And it's all centered on these words that he hears from the Father. You are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. I am well pleased. These are the words that the Son has heard from the Father for all eternity. These are the words that the Father has spoken over the Son that has shaped his heart and shaped his identity, shaped who he knows he is for all eternity. I am well pleased. I am well pleased. I am well pleased. It's been nothing but love. And here he is taking our place being our substitute, hearing these words again, not only for himself this time, but for us, for us. See, faith, listen, faith receives God's, uh, God's voice over us as our worth. It, it, it's this receiving what God says is what's true about me. And this is what happens in Jesus's life. And then right after that, he gets tested in it. Remember I said Mark is always saying immediately this, immediately that. It's, it's like 40 times, I think, in the gospel, over and over. And so right after Jesus gets baptized, it says that uh, he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit immediately. It's like there, there was nothing that could happen in between this. As soon as God says this about you, it's going to be tested. And he goes into the wilderness, and, and Mark doesn't give us a lot of detail. Remember, he doesn't, he doesn't give us a lot of words of Jesus. He's like, this is what happened, next, next, next. And, but we know from the other gospel writers what actually happened in the wilderness. And we know that Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, and his very first temptation is what? If you are the Son of God, turn this uh, rock into bread. Then he says it again, if you are the son of God, jump off this building because God will catch you. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, do you hear it? It's exactly what the father said to Jesus at his baptism. You are my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Satan's temptation is, are you really? Are you really his child? Does he really love you? Are you, are you really the one that he's pleased with infinitely? Then prove it. If that's who you are, then, then prove it. Robert Mulholland uh, says this about uh, this temptation. He says, the temptation here is to reverse the roles of being and doing. What does he mean by that? Follow me for a second. The temptation in the wilderness for Jesus and for all of us and all of our temptations is that we would reverse the biblical order where the biblical order is being comes before doing. Who you are becomes, or comes before what you do. He's flipped that to where now Satan's tempting him to say who you are is based on what you do. Your doing now comes before your being. 
And so if you're going to be somebody that God says you are, you better get it together. You better prove it. If you're, I mean, this is, this is what our culture is constantly, constantly preaching to us. That if you're going to be a good mom, you better be a perfect parent. If you're going to be a good employee at your job, you better have perfect performance. If you're going to be a good friend, then you, have, you better have perfect communication. Right? And the moment you don't have perfection in, in whatever those things are, then, then immediately you're canceled, you're cut off, you're, you're seen as something that's not worthy. Because to be in this relationship, you have to prove yourself. And listen, it's what happens in our relationship with God. If you're going to be a child of God, you better prove yourself. If you're going to be a child of God, you better... Work hard on your spiritual disciplines. You better get that sin taken care of. You better be nicer to your spouse. You better do all these things to prove who you are. But the gospel, listen, the gospel is this great reversal of what the culture is preaching and what what human nature has always struggled with. It's the great reversal to say your being comes before your doing. What God says about you, who God says you are, is more important than what you do. In fact, what you do flows from who you are in Him. You can try to build an identity around what you do at your job or what you do in your family or what, what you do in your relationships, whatever it may be. You can try to build an identity around that. But if you try to build that, it'll fail the moment you fail. But if you build your identity on Jesus and what God has spoken over you, This is my child in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter who is beloved. This is my son who is beloved. It changes everything. You simply receive. You see that? You receive and then you do. Because God has spoken. See, repentance is all about stopping our doing. The righteous doing and the unrighteous doing. You you stop all the doing and doing and doing for the sake of your identity and you move over to receiving by faith. And then when you receive by faith what God has spoken over you because of who Christ is and what he has said and done, then you do. Then you do. When, When was the last time you just simply stopped to receive what God has said over you? I mean, to slow down and really say, God, I'm not coming to you to ask you for anything. I'm not coming to you to, to, to see if you could fix this or do that. I just want to sit in your presence and, and rest in who I am because of you. I mean, that might look like literally a daily practice of just taking five minutes to sit in silence before God and just say, I'm enjoying who I am in you. I just want to be here to receive. I don't want to do anything for you right now. I don't want to receive uh, any accolades for for my achievements. I, I don't want to try to earn anything. I just want to be in your presence and receive who you say I am because of what you've done. That's what faith looks like. Faith looks like I'm going to turn from all the things I'm trying to earn to you and receive. And when you have that kind of faith, there's this next promise in in the text. It's presence. It's the way of presence. Look back at John's words and we'll close. John's words in verse 8. Look at what he says. He says, I have baptized you with water, 
But he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. See, there's three baptisms here. There's John's baptism of repentance. There's Jesus' baptism of receiving by faith. And then there's this third baptism that John says. It's a third baptism that he says is going to happen when this promised one comes, this mighty one who's coming, who John at this point didn't even know it was Jesus. He's about to meet Jesus when he comes down to the Jordan, but he knew somebody was coming that would be mightier. He knew somebody was coming that would be greater and be able to give more than he could ever give because all he can give is a sign. This, this water was a sign of the promise. Even today as we baptize, there, there is a sign of the promise, but the, the sign itself is not the substance. The sign is just pointing towards something greater. The sign is pointing towards what's going to come, and what's going to come is the substance. And John says when the substance comes, it's Jesus. And when Jesus baptizes, it's not with water. It's with the Holy Spirit. It, it's, it's a baptism of presence. It's a baptism saying that, that I'm going to not give you water. I'm not just going to pour out forgiveness for you. I'm not just going to pour out newness for you. I'm going to pour out myself for you. I'm going to give you the Spirit of God himself. And we see this further emphasized when Jesus begins to preach in verse 14. We didn't read it earlier, but look at it now. It says this, Jesus came into Galilee. This is right after his temptation. Jesus comes into Galilee. It says, proclaiming what? The gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There it is right there. He's saying uh, I've come to preach the gospel. The the gospel means good news, but good news about what? Right. There's all kinds of good news in your life. There's all kinds of things you can say. Listen to this great news. What, What did he mean the good news was? I mean, the people in the Bible who were listening to this message didn't understand what he's saying. They, they thought when the Messiah shows up, the, the gospel, the good news that he was going to bring was political good news. It had turned into this basically make Israel great again campaign. It was, it was we, we want to get away from the Roman oppression and we want to see Israel risen up to its Glory days of Solomon and the temple and all the, the, the privilege and, and the wealth and all, all the glory we had back in the day. We want to see that. And what does Jesus preach? Not the gospel of Israel's return to glory. He says, this is the gospel of God. The good news of the gospel isn't that your circumstances might change. They might, and we're going to pray for that, and we're going to work for that, and we're going to seek God for that. But the good news of the gospel is that you and I get God. It's a baptism of presence. Presence. The greatest gift you'll ever receive is he's saying, I'm going to give you myself. God himself is the good news. And we actually see this in the climax of Jesus' temptation. You know, Jesus is tempted now in the wilderness, but Mark bookends this with his final temptation, not in a wilderness, but in a garden. You go to the end of Jesus' life, and Jesus is being tempted again by Satan, but this time it's not, are you the Son of God, but is this what you're really called to do? I mean, do they really care about this? Are they worth it? You you might as well just leave it behind. And Jesus is wrestling and and he's praying and he's pouring out his heart before his father. He's, He's sweating blood. He's under so much stress. 
as he feels the weight of our sin coming upon him as he's hours away from the cross, Jesus is pouring out his heart and he cries out to his father, is there any other way? And knowing there's no other way, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. See, the only way Jesus could baptize, with, uh, baptize us with his spirit was for him to be baptized with God's judgment. The cup that he's talking about was a cup of judgment. It was the, it was the cup of death to be poured out on him. It was Jesus' cup that he came to bear. He had to be cast out of God's presence so that we could be brought into his presence. So that Jesus, as he hung on the cross for our sins, for our trespasses, for our rebellion, he calls out to his father, why have you forsaken me? The father and the son who'd been together for all eternity now torn asunder because of us, because of our sin. Jesus is saying, I will take that upon myself. I will descend into the depths of hell so that you won't need to for your sin because I love you and I came for you. I am the king who will go to that length for you. So that at the cross, when he breathes his last, the the Roman centurion says about Jesus as he watches Jesus suffering in our place, he says, truly, this man was the son of God because he knew this is what it means. But the good news is also that he got up. He got up so that we could get God. He got up so that we could get God's power, so that we could get God's presence, so that we could get God's promise. He got up because only his life was worthy. We're not worthy, but he is worthy. And so God, the Father, speaks over Jesus' life as he's buried in the tomb. He says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Get up. I am pleased with his work. I am pleased with his satisfaction of my justice. I am pleased with his his work that has satisfied my law. I am pleased with all of who he is and what he's done. And so get up. Jesus gets up so that you could get God. So that you could get God. John Stott summarized it this way. He said, the essence of sin is man substituting himself for God. But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Jesus in our place. The way of repentance, the way of faith, the way of his presence. As we close this morning, I just want to ask you, as as we're reflecting on this, are, are you still trying to be enough for him? Are you still trying to walk in a way that that you somehow earn it and you somehow do enough? Because I think a lot of folks, even folks who who are following Jesus, we're, we're considering our relationship with God, this thing that we have to do and do and do, and we've put our doing before the being. Where what, what Jesus is calling us into, and he's inviting us on this way, and he's he's really saying, I'm, I'm gonna need you to follow me in this, is to trust the Father's voice. You are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. The father says this about Jesus before Jesus had lived his perfect life, before Jesus had died his perfect death, before Jesus was risen in his perfect resurrection. He says this before Jesus had accomplished the work because it wasn't even about what Jesus did. It was about what he said. This is who you are. Will you rest in that? Will you trust that? 
Will you turn away from all the other things that you're building your life on and say, I'm going to trust in who Jesus says I am? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even as unworthy sinners, where we can cry out to you, woe is me, for I am a man or woman of unclean lips. Even as that is true, and it's deeply true about who we are in our sin, what's even more true is who we are in our Savior. Then we can also cry out in the same breath, woe is me, but wow, what you have done. You have done so much. You have done such good work all in our place to die for us, to rise for us, to come again for us. And so, Father, we ask that you would help our hearts today to follow you in that, to get on the way, the way of repentance and faith, the way of enjoying your presence, the way of hearing your voice that speaks over us in the gospel. And by faith, we would trust you, trust you when we're tempted, trust you when we're discouraged, when we're despairing, trust you when we're overcome with joy and celebrating and tempted to Make it about us. God, we want to trust you in all of those things. So may your Holy Spirit work in us this gospel truth, we pray in Jesus' name.